Well, there have been a lot of exciting things that have been happening in our family's life here recently. And uh, I know that many of you are already clued into the fact and you, and you have already heard our big news. And that is that we just became cat owners. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, and we live in Wampum. No, it is not that. The, our, our big news is that Carolyn and I are now first-time grandparents. Yeah, and, uh, and we thank you, and we could not possibly be more excited about that. Now, there's something about grandparents that I've always thought in my life up until these, these recent moments, and that is that grandparents, I've always thought, are kind of annoying, kind of annoying. I mean, if I'm really honest about the whole thing. And the reason is because grandparents love to show you pictures. They love to show you pictures of their grandchildren without you ever asking about them. And I've always vowed in my life that that's never the grandparent that I would ever want to be. And now that I am days into being a grandfather, I've come to discover that I am that grandparent. Yeah, you want to see a picture? Ooh, all right. Well, since you asked, and only because you asked, let me introduce you to Mila Kate. Oh, there's Mila Kate. I am not biased at all, but that's the most beautiful girl there's ever been in the world. All right, and uh, that's Mila Kate. All right, maybe just one more. All right, this is what happens whenever I hold her. Yeah, that, that is it. That is me holding her, and uh, she just loved. I know that I am going to be her favorite. There's no doubt. There's no doubt in my mind about that, and I'm going to spoil her until that happens. So uh, we, of course, are very, very excited about this, and uh, even uh, she came three weeks early and was still 7'10", and so all is well, and uh, we're just super excited. Today, I want to talk to you about faith, and faith is on my mind for a number of reasons, and faith is actually something that is required as you make your way through pregnancy. You have to have faith in the doctor, that the doctor is telling you the right things about what's going on in, inside of you, and you have to have faith in that ultrasound operator, that that blob that it looks like you're looking at is actually a single child and, and not triplets in there, because that would be quite a shock at delivery to find out it's three and not just one. You have faith in a lot of other things, just in the natural flow of your life as well. You've got faith in, you have faith in the, the airline pilot. You get on their plane and you let them fly you and you've never met them. You have faith that uh, the bank you put your money in is going to continue to be there. At least we used to have faith that the banks were still going to be there. You have faith, we were just recently on a trip and, and uh, we were in a, a place where they have a ride share company, it's called Grab. It's kind of similar to Uber, but you've got faith that you are going to get to the right place and that the driver is actually not going to you know, murder you or something. And uh, we wondered about that this time because we, we, we uh, booked, you know, we, we downloaded the app and I, and I booked a car for us, actually a van for us. I came to find out it was going to be. But then once we had it booked, we discovered that the, the, the grab cars couldn't come into the airport. And so the description was you needed to go out that gate way over there. You needed to leave the airport property, go through all of the fences and go to this random street and then go and find this white van and get in. 
I mean, that, that's basically what was described for us. Now, we had a little bit of an indication as to whether or not this was the right one, but we needed to check with the driver to make sure he could take us where we wanted to go, and the guy didn't speak any English at all. And uh, we just had faith we got him. We pointed to a place on the map, and he shook his head yes, and so we figured that's good enough for us. And so we got in, and, uh, and he got us there eventually. <laughs> There's a story behind that, but we're going to save that for another sermon. But we put faith in a lot of different things, and we're going to be thinking about that together today. As we continue on in our Follow Sermon series, we're coming back to it after a one-week hiatus from that, and I'm very excited to take us back into our Follow Sermon series here today. We're going to be thinking about this subject of faith. And this is vitally, vitally important because the validity of your faith is going to, in, going to determine the vitality of your life. And that is true. The validity of your faith is going to determine the vitality of your life. That's not an overstatement. And if the trajectory of your life is such that, that you wish it was something more spiritually speaking, then this could very well be an indication of where a problem might lie because oftentimes what we do when we're lacking a little bit, it's like, well, I need to establish some new goals or maybe I need some, some new resolutions that are going to take me off where I want to go. But apart from the, the vitality of faith, you're always going to end up empty and you're always going to be coming up short. And for some of us, that's right where we are. And we don't really completely understand why because we, we want it we desire it. We've tried some things to sort of try to get there. It just hasn't happened. Well, it could be that there's a disconnect in the matter of faith. And so today what we want to think about is this idea of what faith can do. That's what we're calling this. What faith can do. And we learn a lot about this as we dig into the passage that's in front of us as we continue on in our series. And that passage comes in Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 21. If you haven't already, open up your scripture journal, your Bible, and grab the outline. You can go on to the uh, app and you can find the information there also. Find your way somewhere where you can maybe jot some notes and follow along. While you do that, welcome again to everybody here in the room. Welcome to those of you who are watching online and in the classic venue on the Moon Campus. Good to be together. Mark chapter 5 is where we're going to be today. We're actually going to dip into chapter 6 here today as well. And in this passage, we're going to consider the impact of a dynamic faith and see what real faith can do. And here's the first thing, the first truth we learn about that as we get into these first verses. I'll give you the, I'll give you the point first, and then we'll go and we'll, we'll show it to you. The first one is this, that real faith, that real faith overcomes obstacles. Real faith overcomes obstacles. The last time that we were in the book of Mark, we saw Jesus get in the boat and he set off across the Sea of Galilee. My thanks to Pastor Jason for helpfully taking us through that passage and to Steve Pink who took us through the passage before that one. And I'm also so thankful for Pastor Brian Kroll who was with us last weekend who uh, brought a great message that uh, I know that you all appreciated and enjoyed so much. And I just, I wanna thank you also for the very warm welcome and reception that you you gave to him, but I do have a bit of a bone to pick with you, and, and it's this. It's I could tell while he was preaching that you were just longing to help him by giving amens and uh-huh. You were looking for opportunity to do that for him, which is awesome. I just need to tell you, white preachers like that too, <laughs> all right? I, I just want you to know, just, I'm, I'm just saying, all right? Thank you. Thank you for that. Now, as our text for today begins, Jesus is back in the boat. 
there we go. See, now this is gonna work just fine. All right, here we go. Let's take a look at this seriously. Let's get in the text. Mark chapter five, beginning in verse 21, it says this, and when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly saying, my little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. Here we see Jesus returning from casting out the demon from the pigs, and they go down the hillside, and, and uh, they all die. And here he comes back now to, we presume, Capernaum, which is his home base of ministry. We've seen, we've talked about that a number of times. And he gets back, and a huge crowd comes out again. This is what the pattern has been over and over again. And one there in the crowd that approaches Jesus is this guy named Jairus. Jairus, he is described to us as a synagogue leader and he comes to Jesus out of desperation. He's so concerned about his little girl who is dying and so he comes to Jesus. Now, it's not unusual that somebody would come to Jesus. We've seen that over and over and over and over again already to this point in the book of Mark, but there's something very unusual about this circumstance and the unusual circumstance is who this guy is. This he's described to us as being a synagogue ruler a ruler in the synagogue. Now, who are those people? Those are people like the Pharisees. These are people like the ones who have been working to discredit Jesus. They don't want anything to do with Jesus. They're trying to get rid of Jesus. They're trying to kick him out of the synagogues. They want to discredit him as much as possible. That's who this guy is. He's running with the other people who are doing those very things. And so here we find him actually coming to Jesus. Just imagine Now we know why he came, he comes out of desperation, but imagine the obstacles that he had to overcome to come to Jesus, the very one that he and his buddies have been working against. For one thing, it would have been all of his colleagues would have been certainly not in favor of him going to Jesus. In fact, he might be risking his career by going to Jesus in this way. Another obstacle that he would have to overcome would be things like pride and and prejudice that he had been living with. All of these synagogue rulers would have been in that way. They would have been prejudiced against Jesus. They would have been working to get rid of him. They would have been thinking much of themselves and little of him. There would have been embarrassment that he would have to overcome because here he is, this, this great religious leader who can't accomplish for himself the things that he needs, so he comes to Jesus. It would have required great humility. It would have been embarrassing for him to do this. But this is what he does because of the desperation that he feels, because of his love for his little girl and wanting to do something for her. It would have been very hard for him to do this. But that's what faith can do. Real faith overcomes obstacles. Now, if we're all honest about it, we're going to have to admit that we have some faith obstacles of our own, right? You have some faith obstacles, some things that keep you from pursuing all as you might otherwise. One of them for us would be the same as the would have been for Jairus, that being pride, our own pride, because we don't like to acknowledge or admit that we have a need of anything. And so we want to step back. We want to simply take care of ourselves, 
And so coming to Jesus in faith requires us to say there is a need that I have that I can't meet on my own. And some of us just aren't willing to go there. So we're willing to live with the need. We're willing to live with the distance from God in order that we might be able to maintain our pride. And some of us have been stuck in sort of spinning our wheels spiritually because of our pride, because we're not willing to walk toward Jesus in faith. Or it might be because of the circumstances of people around you, maybe your friends or your coworkers, your classmates. They're ones who have been sort of poo-pooing Jesus, and you know how they feel about Jesus. You know how they feel about church. And so you're not gonna be the one who stands up and says, yeah, well, I'm all about Jesus. You're gonna keep it under wraps. And for some of us, like Jairus, it's going to take a crisis of epic proportion, like a daughter who is on the doorstep of death, in order for us to actually humble ourselves to the place where we recognize it is so significant my need that I'm going to run to Jesus. I'm going to express my faith in him and move in that direction. And because few of us live with those sort of crises regularly coming in our lives, what ends up happening is that we just live on the outside in weak faith. But what faith can do is move us toward Jesus despite the external pressures despite the external things that would sort of pump up our pride or our prejudice or our level of embarrassment. And as we're willing to set that aside and move forward in faith, there are some blessings that would come, and as we go on, we can learn some of that. But we, start to lear- we started by learning about another person, another key person in the story. And as we see her, we see the second feature of what faith can do. Secondly, we learn that real faith takes a chance. It overcomes obstacles. Real faith also takes a chance. Let me show this to you. As Jesus and Jairus are walking along, they encounter this woman. And Mark tells us about it beginning in verse 24. If you look there, it says this, and a great crowd followed him, no surprise, and thronged about him, like always, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This flow of blood this woman is suffering is not only causing her pain, causing her distress, it's also making her ceremonially unclean. And that's significant because that means that she's not able to be near people. Like she's a leper. She can't touch people. She's not supposed to allow anybody to touch her because if they do, that's going to make them ceremonially unclean. So for 12 years, she's been avoiding people. She hasn't been able to go to the temple to worship. She's been having to keep her distance and stay by. She's not been able to, to march toward people and move in, in groups with others and experience the solace that she would need for the suffering that she's been experiencing. And so here we find her tired and, and broke, it says, and broken. Truth is, you might feel yourself to be in a similar position. Maybe not literally that you haven't been able to be around people, but it might be that emotionally you feel that way. It might be the people who should be reaching out to you, the people who should be the closest to you in your family. Hard arms distance. They're pushing you away. You feel isolated. You feel alone. You feel tired and broke and broken. 
So that's this woman's circumstance. And we read in verse 27 that she had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. This woman learns that Jesus is nearby so she doesn't waste any time getting to him. Of course, there's a problem. She's unclean. She's not supposed to be there. She's not supposed to be near Jesus, but there's this depth of faith that she has that's going to lead her to take a risk because she just knows in her heart, she knows in her spirit that if she can just get to Jesus, everything's gonna be okay. And so she pushes forward. Even in a circumstance where she knows that nobody around her would have approved for the steps that she is taking. She pushes her way through the crowd to Jesus. She touches the hem of his garment and she knows in the moment that her bleeding has stopped and that she has been healed. And that she has been healed. That's what I thought you were saying. I just couldn't hear it the first time. (laughs) Verse 30, and Jesus perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, they think he's crazy, you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? Everybody's touching you essentially. And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Now, we've got to ask the question, why is she so afraid? Why is she so afraid? Well, it's because she's taking a tremendous risk. She's admitting, I broke the law. I, step, I know I'm unclean. I know I'm not supposed to be here. But yet here I am. And she makes this admission in the midst of all of these people that she has just made unclean herself by even being there. And certainly by touching Jesus' garments. He would have made Jesus unclean as well. It's a great risk, but real faith takes a chance and it pays off. Verse 34, Jesus said, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. That's what faith can do. It is able to meet us in our deepest need and provide God's most abundant blessing. That's what I thought, yeah. My hearing must be going because I, I like, need to hear it twice. So everything seems going, to be going smoothly except for one thing. Remember Jairus? Yeah, he's still there also. They were on their way to go have Jesus heal, spare his daughter. And they got waylaid by this woman. And I'm sure that the guy isn't you know, sad that the woman gets helped, but he's gotta be thinking about himself also, right? And what was going on in his heart and what is going on in his life when they stopped for the woman? Have you ever had that experience where, where you're, you have some urgent situation but you get a delay? Where you can't take care of it in the timely nature that you would want to? <laughs> I read about a guy who was rushing his wife to the hospital to have their baby. Her water had broken, she's in labor, and so he's rushing her to the hospital and on the way he gets stopped by a cop pulls him over. And so he explains to the police officer exactly what's going on, hoping maybe even he could get an escort to the hospital. And the officer's like, no, I don't do that. I'm not allowed to do that. Besides, you were speeding and you deserve a ticket. 
So we went back to the car. He's writing out the ticket. You know how long that can take. Well, I don't know how long that can take, but you probably know how long it take for a trooper to write out a ticket, right? And so the time is just going on and they're sitting there. She's in labor, worrying, wondering what's gonna happen. Can you just put yourself in their position? Can you imagine the anxiety that's going on in their mind? Well, that's what's happening for Jairus here also, only probably even worse than that for him. He's probably thinking, yeah, I'm glad you helped that lady, but remember my daughter? We gotta get going, Jesus. He's very anxious, and as they do, (coughs) we come to learn another feature of what faith can do, namely this, that real faith experiences the miraculous. Now, I don't want to get too far ahead of us because things are going to take a turn for the worse first for Jairus' daughter. Verse 35, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Jairus is probably thinking, see, I told you, why did we have to stop for that woman? Because of her, my daughter is dead. How would you have felt? There has to be some of that going on here, verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child's not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Jairus had come to Jesus in faith and behalf of his daughter. And in this moment, when it appears as though all hope is gone, Jesus says, don't lose your faith. In fact, what he says is, do not fear, only believe. Jairus must have wondered what he meant by that. He must have also wondered what he meant when he said that, that she's just sleeping, she's not really dead, when, when everybody knows the difference between someone who's sleeping and someone who's dead, and here comes the testimony of all of these people who said that's her circumstances. So the people just laugh at Jesus, think you're a fool, when they're going to be seen as the fools soon enough, verse 40, and they laughed at him, But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is obviously a beautiful moment of compassion as Jesus restores this girl to life. It's also a beautiful moment of compassion that Jesus has for these parents who have the child restored to them. It's also a great inspiration and demonstration of the power and authority of Jesus even over death itself, especially for the apostles, those who were there in the room at the time, Peter and James and John, something that was going to be important for them that they would hold on to as they move forward, something that was going to build their faith in what they saw that Jesus is able to do as they ultimately are going to be the ones who carry forward Jesus' message 
after Jesus leaves this earth. And as we've observed before, Jesus doesn't want this news broadcast. And the reason, because he doesn't just want to keep stirring up the crowd to just want to witness more miracles. Jesus is not looking for an invitation to every funeral in Palestine. And that's very well what it could have become. See, our society has developed this perspective that the very worst thing that we could ever experience, the, worst, the thing to fear the most is death. And so these people want anything that will sustain life or will provide life again, and they want that to be the miraculous when, when actually, especially for a believer, death isn't, death isn't to be feared at all. Death is not the worst outcome. In fact, it's not a bad outcome because it draws us into the presence of God, yet that is what their concern is here. See, Jesus' purpose wasn't to keep people from death. It was to teach them to live life and how to do so and how to prepare them ultimately for death. And the way to truly live life to the full is to experience the extraordinary. And the way to do that is to live by faith. That's what we see going on here in this text. It was faith that gave Jairus the courage to approach Jesus in the first place. It was faith that caused the woman to go to Jesus despite all of the obstacles that stood in her way and to take a chance. It was faith that ultimately leads to this little girl being brought back to life. Again and again and again, we see it and the power of it. The question is whether or not you're content to live your life in the spiritual shallows or whether you're going to dive into faith so that you might experience the miraculous from God as well in your life because that's what faith does. It experiences the extraordinary. So there are these positive examples that we see here in the text and Mark just brings them one after the next after the next and we're all encouraged by that. And it's very moving and it's very powerful. But then he turns the corner into the next chapter. And as he does so, it's still very much on this same theme. He's giving us some more detail about faith, about what it is and what it isn't now. And what he talks about next is something that's just as important, it's just as instructive, it's just as illuminating, it just comes from a different angle. But still talking about what faith can do. And in this case, what faith cannot. And it's this, that limited faith limits blessing. Limited faith limits blessing. Starting out in chapter 6, verse 1, Mark's, Mark writes, he went away from there and came to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, where did this man get these things? What is the wisdom given to him? How are such mighty words alone, or uh, words done by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James and Joseph and Judah and Simon, or, and are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. And he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. The text tells us that Jesus returns here to his hometown, which was Nazareth. Only he doesn't receive a very warm reception when he gets there. 
The people had already made up their minds about who Jesus was, which at the same time closed their minds to what could have been the most powerful experience of their lives. They were only seeing Jesus through one potential grid. They knew that this is the boy who grew up in town and these are his brothers and those are his sisters, so he couldn't possibly be someone who is beyond just the ordinary. And because of that, they limit the work that Jesus did in Nazareth. Everywhere else Jesus goes, the towns and the villages, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's raising people from the dead. Here in Nazareth, it says that his work was severely limited because of the lack of faith. It's a sobering thought. In part, because we can find ourselves in their very shoes, can't we? Sometimes we live in that sort of circumstance that these folks are living in here themselves. The fact is that you and I limit the work of God in our lives also. Whenever we have the opportunity to boldly step out and share our faith and we don't, we lack faith and we limit the work of God. Whenever we have the opportunity and we see somebody who is need, in need and we have the opportunity to meet that need and we step back, we lack faith. And we limit the work of God. Whenever we have the opportunity and have the call to go and do great things for God and we settle back into just our comfortable lives, we lack faith and we limit the work of God. The experience of Jairus and the woman were different from what was happening here in Nazareth. Their faith was strong and it manifested itself in their willingness to take risks. In fact, it is the demonstration of the boldness of the risk that they take that actually proved that there was faith in the first place. It's important that we would come to understand that. It's what they are doing that are demonstrating the fact that there is Faith. This is an important thing for us to understand because sometimes we get this wrong. And I wonder what is it that you're doing that others would, that would cause others to look on you and say, wow, he's a man of faith. Or wow, she's really trusting God. What is there that you're doing? Where is it that you're stepping out? What is your, you're demonstrating that make it very clear that faith is something that you are exercising? Where is it? Do that examination. And here's another question I wonder if you ask yourself or a little statement you might say for yourself. Do you ever find yourself saying, I wish I had more faith? Ever find yourself saying that? I wish I had more faith. And when we say that, what we're, what we're really saying is that I wish, I wish the well of my faith was deeper. I wish it was filled up with more faith because if there was more faith in there, I'd be willing to do more things. And I understand that perspective, but it's wrong. And what it's done is it's essentially put us on the sidelines while we're waiting for the faith pool to get filled up. How's it gonna get filled up? I don't know. Maybe if you read enough, maybe if you hear enough sermons, it's like, well, finally that faith pool is gonna get filled up. And so we sit on the sidelines and it never gets filled up. And we just keep sitting on the sidelines. Well, the work that God would desire for us to get done doesn't get done at all. That's a real problem, a real problem. And as we just continue to sit there, 
we're going to just continue to spin our wheels because that's not the way that faith grows. Faith grows by being put to use. Faith grows as we engage, as we step out, as we take risks, as we take a chance, as we overcome obstacles. This is so important that we would get this. For Jairus and the woman, they made a choice to put the faith that they had into practice. They didn't need enough faith to accomplish the healing. They needed enough faith to turn to the one who was able to accomplish the healing. That's all the more faith they needed, was to turn to Jesus and allow Jesus to do what it is that Jesus does. There's a huge difference here that so often I believe that we miss and that we get turned around. You don't have to have great faith in order to be used by God to do great things. You just need enough to turn to Jesus to cooperate with the work that he wants to do in your life. It's not about how long you've been a believer in Jesus. It's about how willing you are to step in his direction today. And that's something that every one of us can do. Remember the story? Are you familiar with the story? It's it's spoken of about the mustard seed faith. And if you have faith just as big as a mustard seed, which of course is very, very, very tiny, that you'll be able to say to this mountain, move from here to there and it'll be moved. And where we've oftentimes, or what you've probably been taught about that is is even if you just have a little faith, faith is so powerful that even if you just have a little, you'll have the ability to do all of, that's not what faith is about. Faith is about having the ability or the mindset to go to God who is able to move the mountain in the first place on your behalf. And so while we're sitting around waiting for the pool of our faith to be filled in more so that we'll be able to do more things, we're missing out on all of the things that God desires to do through us as we simply walk to him in faith. However big or small your faith might happen to be today, it's an adequate amount of faith to turn in the direction of God and experience the fullness of what he has for you. And as you do so, What is going to happen is that, yes, your faith will be built as you watch what God does, because, but as long as you're going to sit back and wait for the faith pool to fill, and then I'll do something, you'll never see what can happen through faith because you'll never step out. Whatever it is for you, Wherever it is that that God would desire to use you, you simply turning in his direction, saying, God, I believe that you're there. I believe that you have a desire for my life. I believe that there is something that you desire for me to do for your kingdom purposes. That step in his direction, in faith, in belief, is enough to connect you to the purposes of God as you submit yourself to it, and as you watch what he does through your expression of faith, then your faith is going to build. It is going to get stronger, and it might become easier and easier for you to put your trust and your faith in him for future things that he would desire to do. So are you ready to engage today? Are you ready to experience the undeniable presence of God at work in your life? Are you ready to step up and fellowship and partner together with God, I pray that you are. What it means is simply taking some steps. Go share your faith. Go meet a need. Go serve someone. Go volunteer somewhere. Give generously. There's areas where you have been holding back 
waiting for yourself to be filled up to the point of thinking, I can do that, thinking that that's an expression of faith. It's not. It's an, ex- it's an expression of pride, selfishness. The expression of faith is being willing to put yourself in God's hands. Say, God, I want to partner together with what you can do because you can move mountains. And all that requires is me of expressing my faith toward you and partnering together in the work that you would desire to do. Friends, that's what faith, that's what faith can do. And that's how we want to walk. So I challenge you, Instead of waiting, sitting back for your faith pool to be filled, if you have any inclination of what God would have you to do, turn yourself toward him. Say, God, I have the faith to follow you in this area. Step out and watch what God does through you. Completely transformational. If we can learn this, if we can take it on, and the way that you'll learn it is by putting it into practice. Where is it that you need to take that step I can give you several. I've already given you several. Volunteer for something, serve someone, give something, get connected, whatever that would be. Let me give you another one. Easter's coming. Two weeks. Do you believe that there might be someone that God would desire that you might invite, include, reach out to? Spiritually, oh, I can't do that. (laughs) They might say no or... I don't know what I'd say, or maybe it's a simple inv- invitation. You'd be willing to take a step of faith to invite somebody, a couple somebodies. It's just one step. It's not the only thing that you could do. It's a very practical one. It's coming right up. And who knows where that might go. Friend, there is something that God, I believe, probably is bringing to your mind right now. And if not, if you stop and think about it and pray about it, it will come to your mind of where God would have you to take a step that you've been reluctant to do. And it's not that you need to be filled up more so that you'll be able to take the step. It's so that you might empty yourself more, rest in what God can do through you, and express your faith in saying, I'm going to walk in fellowship. Get it? Does that make sense? I hope it does. And I hope you'll take me up on it because that's what faith can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is difficult at times to walk by faith because of what it seems that it requires of us in terms of breadth and strength and, and courage and, and all the rest. What we have learned What Mark is helping us to understand is that real faith just takes a chance, just engages. Yeah, I'm going to go to Jesus because I believe that he can do something awesome. And I'm going to rest in him to do what he can do instead of making my spiritual experience all about what I can do. Father, forgive us for the fact that we walk in that way so often. Like it's our strength. Like it's our power. Like it's our ability. And so we step out and the things that we do, we say we do them for you. But really we're doing them for us. 
We're doing them in our own power, in our own strength, in our own ability. And what we're able to bring to the table as a solo artist, Lord, we want to do duets, partnering together with what you can do. So Lord, give us the willingness to simply turn to you in faith and say, this is what you're calling me to do. This is what your word says I should do. So I'm going to do it because I've got the faith that you're going to meet me there and see through to completion that which you desire to accomplish. Lord, use us, we pray. Open our minds to what faith can do We look forward to seeing how you use us. In Jesus' name, amen.